Welcome to Audiobook Test Drive. In today's episode, we are featuring an excerpt from Morocco Jones, The Hand of the Syndicate, written by Jack Baines. Morocco Jones challenges the Mafia in a kill-or-be-killed novel of murder, molds, and mayhem. The Syndicate made a big mistake when they murdered Chris Shane, because Shane was the man who had saved Morocco from torture and death at the hand of a despot's most savage secret agent back in Eastern Europe during the war, his best friend and the man to whom he owed his life. No bunch of gun-happy guerrillas could scare a guy like Morocco. Five years of slugging it out with tyrants, Nazis, and commies in the savage slums of Europe's underworld had fashioned him into six feet of human dynamite. Powerful friend, a ruthless enemy. Morocco was going after Shane's killers, even if it meant taking the syndicate apart with his bare hands. In one swift motion, Morocco hooked his steely fingers into the collar of the man nearest him. There was a sickening thud as the man's head struck the bar. The second hood whirled, but Morocco's powerful arms snaked out and caught him with a smashing blow across the throat. The third man was still clawing for his gun when Morocco grabbed his wrists and flung him against a booth. Morocco's green eyes were burning like a tiger's. I've got a message for your boss. Tell him the honeymoon is over. Tell him to find a cyclone cellar to hide in. Tell him Morocco Jones is in town. Another no-holds-barred, suspense-packed 1960s classic adventure of the man whose mind is as sharp as the edge of lightning and whose fists are as deadly as a forty-five. For fans of Mac Bolan, The Executioner, Elvis Cole, and Jack Reacher. And now for your listening pleasure, an excerpt from Morocco Jones, The Hand of the Syndicate. Chapter 1 A thin, icy drizzle coming in from Lake Michigan shrouded Chicago with typical April weather. As Morocco Jones got out of the cab at the corner of Wacker Drive and Michigan Avenue and went into the London house for a late breakfast, he hung his damp top coat and hat on a hook beside a table and sat down. A big man with massive sloping shoulders that advertised strength with heavily muscled arms and big knuckled hands that moved with smooth assurance. He glanced idly around the restaurant as he sat down, the easy set of his wide mouth softening the rock-like hardness of his face. His eyes were smoke gray, with strange little flecks of green. He ordered bacon and eggs and prepared to give them his full attention. The food was good but the mood he had brought into the restaurant with him was even better. He was relaxed, comfortable in the knowledge that nothing was pressing him. Very little to do stretched away in front of him pleasurably. His partner, General Wayland, was in Washington and had left nothing in the way of a case for Morocco to work on, which, on this particular day, was exactly the way Morocco liked it. He finished breakfast and began a leisurely reading of the morning paper. The Russians were hurling their habitual acrimony at the Western powers. Secretary Dulles was giving out his side of the case, 
Sputniks from both sides were buzzing about like cosmic insects. A Senate committee had another labor racketeer on the pan. Another mafia hoodlum had just walked out of court after the case against him had collapsed for lack of evidence. Morocco read that item with a grimace of distaste and spread the paper wide on the table to browse through the rest of the news. His eye hit an item on page three. As he read the brief report, the green flecks in his eyes flared and grew until they swallowed all the gray. His face even more the mask hewn out of granite, the mouth thinning and drawing taut. The news item recorded the death of one Chris Shane in Border City. Shane, it seemed, had been hired by someone to investigate certain underworld activities. He had been found lying against a shed on a riverside wharf, a bullet through his head. Morocco let his heavy hands rest on the paper while his eyes, as green as emeralds now, stared unseeingly across the restaurant. For the moment, he was thousands of miles away from Chicago, in a cellar in East Berlin, in the amoral world of European espionage. He was there with the men with whom he had trained and who had given him his nickname of Morocco. He had been trained to do a job, to be more savage and violent than those whom he hunted. His first major assignment had been a job in Morocco. Out of his success in that venture had come his nickname. The cellar that lay under the heap of rubble that had once been a residence in East Berlin had the chill, dank mustiness of death about it a paralyzing coldness that penetrated Morocco's chest as he sat lashed to the kitchen chair. This he knew was it. He would now die slowly and horribly in this tomb of a cellar if he did not talk. And he knew that he would not talk. Basnov stood in front of Morocco, gently stropping the edge of the knife on his palm. Basnov's eyes were mad in the gutted ruin of his face. He made the ideal torturer for the commies because he brought to his task the sadistic love of inflicting agony. Basnov's voice was thin, dry, precise. We know you found Kranz. We know that your partner Shane escaped with him when we caught you. You will tell us where Shane is taking him. Memory of that moment still had the power to bring to Morocco the ice of naked fear and blank despair, for he knew that there was no chance left for him. He had run all out of luck, all out of possibilities of any kind of break. He thought of Krantz, the terrified little physicist who had been kidnapped in West Berlin and brought here on the first leg of his journey to Moscow. Somewhere outside, Shane was now rushing him to cover. That fact wiped out the last slim chance for Morocco. Shane had orders that he would not dare disobey. Those orders were specific. Krantz was more important than either Morocco or Shane. If one of them had slipped, the other would ignore him and concentrate on rescuing Krantz. And Morocco had slipped. Because he had slipped... He was now in the cellar reception room of this house of horror. Shane had gotten away with Kranz. Even if he hadn't, there was not much that he could do. There were three men in the cellar beside Basnov. 
and there were two up above. And all of them were toughened veterans in this deadly game of espionage and counterespionage. Basnov came closer. His smile was as mad as his eyes as he put the knife against Morocco's bare chest and began to draw intricate diagrams down over his belly. The back of the knife was cold. It touched Morocco's skin with a feathery lightness that was more dreadful than a harder stroke would have been. Basnov knew his job. Morocco wondered if he would scream when the real horror began. He knew that he would. You will talk, Morocco Jones. Basnov said softly, Oh, how you will talk. Morocco said nothing, for it was a time to say nothing. But one thing he did know, he would not talk. He might scream, he might babble in agony, but he would not talk. And that he knew would stretch his ordeal to its lingering worst. The cellar was absolutely silent. The hill-lock of rubble that blanketed it above shut out all sounds, or almost all sounds. The sound that reached them now came like a dull hammer blow over their heads. That, thought Morocco, had to be an explosion of some kind, probably a grenade. For a moment, hope flared. Basnov jerked around, quick fear momentarily wiping out the gloating insanity in his eyes. He jerked his head toward the door that would open on the stairway leading up. You, Karl, and Adolf, see what occurs above. As the two men left the room, the third one backed against the cellar wall, the black luger in his hand glittering dully in the candlelight. Basnov grinned at Morocco. It is nothing that will save you. The knife in his hand shimmered brightly as he held it before Morocco's face. This blade is swift and sure. Through the door that the two men had left open behind them, sound of gunfire came down to them in three flat explosions. The door, Basnov said sharply. Close the door, Otto. Otto was swinging the door shut when it slammed back against him, one of the men who had gone up with a candle in his hand. From the higher reaches of the stairs, a gun boomed hollowly, and the man who backed through the door turned with a mechanical slowness before he fell laxly on his face. The man above came down the stairs in a long leap that cleared all the steps and landed on his knees. In the candlelight, Chris Shane's eyes were very bright, his lips pulled back from his teeth in a grin of mirthless concentration. The blast of his shot echoed that of Otto's gun, and Otto slammed back against the stones of the cellar wall, his eyes wide and empty, his mouth slack as he slid loosely down the wall. Basnov swung around, the knife leaping into his left hand. The right hand jerked a gun out of his pocket. Halfway across the cellar, Chris triggered his gun and got the flat click of hammer against an exploded shell. Lashed helplessly in the chair, Morocco knew that Shane's one chance for life lay in the fact that the chair was not fastened down. Digging his toes into the dirt floor for purchase, Morocco lunged forward. 
His head hit Basnov's hip just as he triggered his shot, jerking the gun barrel up in the instant it spat flame. Chris came off his knees in a dive that carried him to Basnov before the commie torturer could get his balance for a second shot. Chris's left caught the gun hand as he slashed his empty gun crashingly across the side of Basnov's head. He did not give any of them a second look as he picked up Basnov's knife and slashed the cords binding Morocco. His voice was like his eyes and the mirthless grin that he still wore. He was a little mad, but of the brand that rises out of reckless courage and out of the heady excitement that such courage brews. Some butter knife. Let's get the hell out of here before all the commies in East Berlin start piling in. They threaded their way through the rubble, eluding the running feet and the quick startled voices of the hunters. When they were comparatively clear, they sat for a moment in an old bomb crater. I knew they'd caught you. Grants told me they would likely take you to work you over. He paused to stare at Morocco in the darkness. This one is strictly between us. If the general heard about it, he'd crucify me. You broke all the orders and tossed the book away, Chris, Morocco said. Chris sighed gently. I know. But it was something I had to do, Morocco. I couldn't leave you to Basnoff. You're an insubordinate so-and-so, thank God. The general ought to crucify you. But in that case, he'd have to crucify the two of us. And we don't want him to be short-handed, do we? Let's forget it. Let's just say that this little act of insubordination was my own way of going on a binge. Now let's pick up Krantz and get the hell back to civilization. Tossing money on the table, Morocco shrugged into his coat, jammed the snap-brim hat on his head, and went to Michigan Avenue in hard, purposeful strides. In the plush outer office of the suite that the general and Morocco had set up as their headquarters, the decorative blonde receptionist gave Morocco a hopeful smile and a warmly enthroty, Good morning. The hopefulness faded from the smile as Morocco nodded curtly and strode through the reception room to the office beyond. The sign on the door he approached was lettered in the lower left-hand corner, Laura Madigan. The girl at the desk inside glanced up, a smile starting in her eyes and receiving strong support from her full, sensitive mouth. She met Morocco's eyes, and the smile faded. Her dark eyes became suddenly watchful, appraising. Whether smiling or watchful, Laura Madigan had a breathtaking quality. Her hair was that of a shade of dark brown that looks almost black against the delicate ivory of a perfect oval face. The severe business suit she was wearing was incapable of concealing the femininity of her curves. Morocco spread the paper before her on the desk wordlessly and jabbed a finger at the item concerning the death of Chris Shane. Laura Madigan read the item her eyes growing darker. 
She glanced up at Morocco and said, So you're going to Border City and find out who killed Chris. Morocco studied her as he nodded, remembering that other world of constant treachery and daily death. He remembered when she was better known by her code name, the Countess, than she was as Laura Madigan. And he remembered what she meant to him, how she always understood him better than any other woman could ever hope to understand him. She glanced up at him again. When do you leave for Border City? Morocco shrugged. Before I leave Chicago, this evening, I hope. I'll do some checking. I'll find out as much as I can about the setup in Border City. When I've got everything I can here, I'll fly down there. I'll probably spend a few days looking Border City over, learning its layout and its ways, getting a line on all parties concerned. His eyes met Laura's again, as green as emeralds. Then I'll hit the bastards. You don't want my help? Laura asked softly, hopefully. Morocco shook his head positively. This one's strictly on me. He took a checkbook from his pocket, filled in a check, and tossed it across the desk to Laura. Have the girl cash that. Also tell her to make arrangements with the bank to have more ready in case I yell for it from Border City. But no matter how much it is, it will always be my money that finances this project. He stood up, and across the desk, Laura stood up also. She came around the desk to stand close to him, gazing at him levelly. And just how do you figure you can rule me out of anything you do? Morocco caught her in his arms. You are seductive, hussy. And you know exactly how I feel about you. But this time this won't work. I have a job to do. I'll do it. Afterwards, I'll show you all about how I feel. Laura stepped back from the circle of his arms, her smile enigmatic. I guess that you'll always be first, last, and all the time, Morocco Jones. But you'll never actually be alone, Morocco. You have people who are bound to you by bonds that are stronger than steel. Someday you'll understand that. Stop talking in riddles, Morocco said, giving her a quick, wide smile. You're the absolute tops, baby. Now have that check cashed and arrange for emergency funds to be ready for a call. And keep your fingers crossed. From all I've heard, this border city is a tough town. At the desk in his office, Morocco picked up the phone and dialed a number. It took him a few minutes to locate Joe Kincaid and get him on the line. Then he said, Hi, Joe. I wondered if you knew anything about the setup in Border City. I should, Joe said. I've been down there a couple times on police business. Last time I spent a month there. It was a rough town then. I hear it's even rougher now. Why? I want a line. 
Got time to meet me somewhere for a cup of coffee? Trouble. Kincaid's voice came at the other end of the line. You're always trouble, Morocco. Sure, I'll meet you. You in the loop now? Okay. Over on Van Buren. You and I have had coffee there before. You know the place. Joe Kincaid, lieutenant out of homicide, was one of those quiet men who never seemed to have put on the tough manner to emphasize his authority. He was in a booth in the restaurant when Morocco entered. Watching the big man cross the floor toward him, his gray eyes calmly unreadable, his shoulders hunched over a cup of coffee. He gave Morocco a thin grin and said, What new hurricane are you going to blow into my lap? For answer, Morocco laid the paper on the table before him, pointing to the item on Chris Shane. Kincaid read it. His lips pursed. He pushed the paper back across the table. Chris Shane. He was the fellow who got Bardo in that caper of yours that damn near tore this town apart. The smile faded. I remember you saying that he was an old friend of yours. You going to Border City to see who knocked him off? You'll be biting off a mouthful. As Morocco made no comment, Kincaid said, You're mighty talkative, aren't you? I can't talk and listen at the same time. Okay. I suppose you want to know the score on the town? Everything you can give me. I'll be taking off this evening. Of course I won't expect action right away. I want to look the whole layout over and get to know the town itself, like the palm of my hand, before I try anything. I need to know who some of the key figures are. Kincaid's voice was reflective. Border City, as its name implies, is a city on what used to be, in the Civil War period, the border between North and South. Like a lot of such towns, it has a tidy record of violence. Caters to a lot of guys from the oil fields to the South who come into town to spend dough and blow off steam. A big inland port on the island waterways, gateway to a rich trade area. Like all such cities, growing strong industrially. I know the Chamber of Commerce blurb. What's the setup otherwise? Who runs the town? What kind of police force? Is the underworld syndicate controlled? Who could have hired a man like Chris Shane to carry on an investigation? Border City is kind of a funny one. A few years ago, the town was controlled by a smooth-working political machine. A crafty old fox named Mike Dravo ran the machine. You might look him up if he's around. If he feels like talking, he could tell you a whole lot. I can't see why he wouldn't feel like it. He must have chewed off a very sour, reflective cud these past two years. Remembering when he was top dog, and facing the reality that he's now a big fat zero politically. Kincaid gave Morocco another tight grin. A year ago, a man named Gilbert Warner got a reform ticket together and went after Dravo's machine in the city elections. He was given support from surprising quarters, because actually, there weren't many demanding reform. 
Of course, there was the usual quota of gambling, graft, and all the other stuff that goes with running a city in our country. But there was nothing to get excited about. Nevertheless, Warner worked up enough people with his reform pitch to win the election. He owns and publishes the Border City Clarion. He should have known the score. And it was rumored that he never had much love for Warner. But his paper beat the drums for Warner and helped swing the vote. Kincaid watched Morocco. His eyes narrowed to slits. I was down there just before the campaign got into high gear. The police department was allegedly working on a murder case. A girl named Marcy Trevor was shot to death in her apartment. I found out that Marcy had been the girlfriend of a high-powered punk named Carlo Fontana. The police department never mentioned that. In fact, they never mentioned much of anything. And they never pinned the job on anyone. That one really stank. What's Fontana doing now? Kincaid gave him another of his bleak smiles. Fontana now runs the mob that operates under the umbrella of Warner's political machine. And he really operates. Gambling, vice, crime, wide open. Graph that Dravo's boys never would have thought of. No syndicate control. Kincaid shook his head. That's another funny one. Fontana seems to run the whole show. Now don't ask me, tell me. Why the hell should the mafia let an independent run a show like Fontana has in Border City? The mafia doesn't work that way. The mafia runs the syndicate that controls all the rackets. And all the rackets in Border City are too big and profitable to have escaped their attention. I'll ask you. What's your idea? Kincaid shrugged. I'd say there was a deal of some kind. Fontana has something big that the syndicate wants, so the syndicate lets him alone with his rackets as long as the deal continues. That's my guess. And it's only a guess. Police force? Stinks, Kincaid said tersely. Chief's name of uh, Sam Basso, a political crook. The man who should be chief is Arno Peters. Look him up on the quiet. He might give you some leads. He could be ripe to talk to someone like you. I'll give him a buzz at his home tonight and tell him to be expecting you. I imagine he's a mighty sick cop these days, surrounded by crooks on the force, watching a hood like Fontana run his town and his police force. Another man you might look up is a veteran newspaperman on the Clarion, Larry Mellon. A right guy who knows a lot of answers. When I was down there, Larry was mad as hell because his boss, Blake Ellis, was backing Warner. Larry knows Warner and his hookup with Fontana and wants part of him or his gang. Show him you mean business and Larry might be able to help you. Kincaid spread his hands in a gesture of finality. I guess that about covers it. Now I'd like to ask you a question. Are you going to be doing this on your own or has somebody hired you? It's personal and completely on the house. Maybe I'm nuts. 
but Chris Shane was my friend. There was a time when he was always ready to put his life on the line for me. A couple of times he did. I owe it to him and that old friendship to even things up for him. He watched Kincaid's eyes. Why would that be important? Or could it be that you know who hired Shane? Kincaid shook his head. I, I haven't any idea who hired him. But, but just for a moment, I wondered if the same guy who had hired Shane had now gotten in touch with you. I'm a cop, Morocco. I always think in such terms. Somebody certainly turned Shane loose. If you could find out who, it might help. I'll find out. I'll get that information as well as the rest of the stuff I'll have to know. Kincaid chuckled dryly. <laughs> Maybe you will. He rose to his feet. I appreciate your coming to me for information, Morocco. I wish I could be more of help. Anyway, I'm sure glad you're not setting landmines in this town again. Thanks, Joe. You've at least started me on my way. I'll check thoroughly in Border City before I tip my hand. He grinned as he shook Kincaid's hand. With a bit of luck. I know. You'll be right back. Kincaid sighed. Well, one man's luck is another man's ulcers, I guess. He turned and walked quickly away. After a few steps, he paused and turned. He was smiling. Give him hell, fella. We hope you enjoyed listening to this excerpt from Morocco Jones, The Hand of the Syndicate. If you would like to hear the entire audiobook, it can be purchased at Amazon.com, Audible.com, and iTunes.com.